third plague of Egypt does not change Pharaoh's heart. His heart is tough and hard. He thinks he's gone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we learn about the heart of Pharaoh during this time. This is a very interesting one. Now, Corey and Ryan are here. And Corey, what'd you study? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at some theories of the identity of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Ryan? Today, I'm talking about the ultimate showdown, Pharaoh versus Moses, the so-called gods of Egypt versus the living God. And this is interesting because Moses is not a big, you know, uh, political leader or anything, but this is fascinating. Janice? I just want to touch on the power of prayer. All right, so get your Bible guide out and get your Bible out, the most important book ever. And let's open it up and look at the plagues of Egypt and begin to learn what God is saying to the people, not just Egypt, but also his people. Exodus 8, verses 16 through 32. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, 
only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord, that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 32. Exodus chapter 8 to chapter 10, 8, 9, and 10. Now this is fascinating. As we continue reading through the book of Exodus, we're getting into the plagues and all of that. And we need to learn from this because God has put that there for us to read. Well, the 10 plagues of Egypt were the 10 judgments of God that could have been avoided if Pharaoh had listened and obeyed God through Moses. Now, Pharaoh was of the belief that he was God. This helps explain why his heart was so hard against God and against his servants. He was not interested in losing their valuable labor. He believed their purpose was to serve him. Eventually, Pharaoh was forced to let go the Israelites, but not until the ultimate price of his firstborn son was taken. God proved that he had power over life and death. And the plagues of Egypt are like confrontations that we may face, we may have today with God. It may temporarily feel good to rebel against God, but it never, ever is in our best interest to do so. You see, God wants what is best for us so that we should surrender to his ways. Serving God does not mean serving ourselves, but coming to him and learning to love and follow him with our hearts, all of our hearts, and with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. What does that mean? Well, that's what it means to be a Christian, beloved. We need to do that. It's very important. Now today, as we embark on this journey through the Old Testament, I want to encourage you as we read, there'll be things that, we, that come along the way. And when we have questions about them, we should simply ask. Ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit will show us. Okay? Very important. Get your Bible guide. If you don't have one, write to me. Call me. Go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page where you can make a donation and download it. And you can join us seconds away from joining us. The heart of Pharaoh. And everybody always has that question. You know, why, did, why was God so hard on Pharaoh? Actually, Pharaoh was hard on God. He's the one who started punishing and killing the Hebrews. I mean, God didn't do that, but he did that. Very interesting and very important. So, Father, we pray today in Jesus' name that as we look in your word at the heart of Pharaoh, and as we look in your word at how this goes down, we pray that you would show us your ways and teach us your paths and help us, Lord, those of us who are Christians and want to, help us, Lord, to follow you. And I say follow with all meaning. Follow you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. What does that mean? Follow the Lord? Well. 
Let's go on and I'll tell you. Exodus chapter 8, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the lands of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All of the dust of the land became like lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians also worked with the enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. And then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. There it is. The third plague did not move Pharaoh's heart. His heart was hard. Our hearts and minds should always be pliable to adjust, pliable to adjust to God's ways and not our own way. Now, this is the hardest thing I did as a Christian, I still have difficulty with it, but I have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, not my way, but your way. Doggone it. I want to do it my way. But help me to do it your way. Oh, man, that's hard. <laughs> and it seems to become more difficult in situations that you go through. I remember somebody saying something that I had nothing to do with, and I wanted to come down on them. I was a pastor of the church. I wanted to come down on them. God said, back off. It took two years. I backed off. People thought people left. They thought I did wrong. I didn't do anything. And then suddenly it came out. What happened? I didn't do it. And there were people who were very sorry that they made judgment calls. You see, beloved, we have to do things God's way. 820. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and in your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land, and I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into the land of Egypt, and the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. And then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it's not right for us to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord, our God. If we sacrifice the abominations of the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, not, they will stone us. We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord God as he commanded us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only go only you shall go, not go very far away, intercede for me. It seems that Pharaoh's heart begins to change in the fourth plague. 
Now, we must allow God to move all the way in our hearts. So many people, they start to change, and they say, yeah, okay, God, will go your way, but then they don't carry through, and they back up, and they don't change anymore. That's what Pharaoh did. He did that. Look at the scripture. Exodus 8, 29 to 32, then Moses said, Moses said, indeed, I'm going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in the letting of people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and, and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the words of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart again at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Brings me to the third point. Pharaoh's heart turns back towards the hardness against God again. Beloved, we must never let our hearts become divided against God. Now, that's it. That's why God says, love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. Heart, soul, and strength. Because that tells the truth. Do we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength? Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives, and this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time, and I find that absolutely amazing. All right, we are taking a look at a pretty fun topic this week, depending on who you are, but I get asked it all the time. Corey, who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus? And of course, obviously, I don't know who the Pharaoh of the Exodus was, but I'm going to introduce you to a really interesting theory put forward by scholars. Take a look at this. While the personal name of the Pharaoh of the Exodus is not given in the Bible, there's at least one good historical candidate for him, Amenhotep II of the 18th dynasty. Using the Bible's own recorded history and reinal dates for King Solomon, a date of 1446 BC can be arrived at for the Exodus. Comparing that date to Egyptian chronology lands us in the middle of the 18th dynasty. In the records of the 18th dynasty pharaohs, it's been found common practice not to give the personal names of foreign or enemy kings. This may go a long way in explaining why Egyptian-trained Moses did not name any pharaohs in his writings. When examining the life of Amenhotep II, reigning in that 1446 BC date, there are striking parallels to the biblical account. Amenhotep II ruled directly after the only pharaoh of the 18th dynasty to rule for over 40 years. This is key to identifying the pharaoh of the Exodus, as Moses lived 40 years in Midian before the pharaoh who sought his life died. Amenhotep II was also not a firstborn son, so he wouldn't have died in the tenth plague of the firstborn, and the son who succeeded him was not his firstborn either. 
There's a major discrepancy between the military success of Amenhotep II and his father, Tutmos III. Tutmos III conducted 17 military campaigns and led fierce military resistance against Egypt's enemies. By contrast, Amenhotep II was only able to conduct two campaigns, and rather than resist Egypt's enemies, made treaties with him, this despite his claim of being a fierce panther in war. His final military campaign into Canaan is historically unusual, occurring in the off-season when his men would face less than ideal weather. The purpose for his excursion may best be seen in his list of spoils. He claims to have captured 101,128 captives, a noticeably gigantic number in comparison to all other campaigns that boast a few hundred to a few thousand. He also claims to have taken chariots and weapons of war. It appears Amenhotep II was out to get slave labor and replenish his military. So there are a few other theories about the, who the Pharaoh of the Exodus is. And, you know, when I say a few, that is an understatement. There are many people who have put forward their theories of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. But this one, Amenhotep II, checks a lot of the boxes, a lot of the very crucial boxes, and fits the timing of the Exodus well. So he certainly is a very intriguing candidate. It, it really is true. And and as we begin to understand, we're in, we're in the plagues. And mm -hmm. the plagues are uh, all coming in and everybody, they just hear the spectacular on the top, but there's underneath them, these are the gods of Egypt. They worshiped these, so we think. And this is something interesting. On the next program, we're going to talk about the Passover. And the Passover is very, very intriguing as we consider this, because this is what Jesus is going to do, but they do it that way. So that's going to be very interesting. Join us on the next program, right? Yeah, well, today I'm doing a really fascinating study on the showdown between the Pharaoh of Egypt and Moses, in which God brought 10 plagues on the Egyptians. Now, interestingly, Egypt's magicians were able to somehow mimic some of these plagues. And what I wanted to know was if these were demonically powered feats or if they were merely illusions and tricks. Now, to help me with this study, I turned to professional illusionist Andre Cole, who is actually a creative consultant to David Copperfield. Now, as a young man, Cole, as a professional illusionist, actually set out to disprove the miracles of Jesus Christ, but simply couldn't do it. And so he actually ended up giving his life to Christ. So I ask you to simply consider his incredibly unique perspective in regard to this biblical account. Exodus chapters 7 through 12 document the dramatic showdown between Pharaoh and Moses between Egypt's false gods and the living God Almighty, who demanded that they let my people go. What followed was a series of ten plagues, some of which the Egyptians seemed to be able to duplicate. Though some concede that the acts performed by the Egyptian practitioners were supernatural satanic acts, others believe that they were nothing more than illusions and tricks. For example, famous illusionist Andre Cole, who also served as David Copperfield's creative consultant, says that most individuals are not aware of what those trained in the art of illusion can accomplish. I have no doubt that the illusions performed by 20th century magicians would baffle ancient practitioners. Changing a stick to a snake is child's play when one considers that modern-day magicians cause elephants to vanish and appear. The problem, he says, is that if Satan and demons can perform miracles, the argument of miracles as an apologetic for the deity of Christ must be considered worthless. Jesus himself said, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. 
But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Regarding the extent of Satan's power, the Apostle Paul wrote, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Notice that none of these great signs and wonders are real. All of them are deception only, or as Paul qualifies, lie signs and lie wonders. This is the extent of Satan's power. Interestingly, the Bible uses the expression secret arts to describe the acts of the Egyptian practitioners, which, says F.C. Cook, is ambiguous. It may come from a word meaning flame, or from another meaning conceal. In either case, it implies a deceptive appearance, an illusion, a juggler's trick, not an actual putting forth of magical power. Also, says Cole, the response of the Egyptian magicians after the plague of gnats, that this is the finger of God, lends weight to the argument that their previous works were only tricks, and that they knew the difficulty in performing a trick with such a small entity, a trick which they were incapable of. If Satan could turn a stick into a snake and bring up frogs, he certainly should have been able to produce the less complex life form. To teach that Satan was able to take a dead stick and change it into a living serpent, or that the magicians could change water into life-giving blood, is to teach that Satan has the ability to create life. However, as a being created by God, Satan has neither power to create anything out of nothing, nor life out of anything. The Bible clearly teaches that God alone is the Creator. So interestingly, like Andre Cole, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus also believed that the Egyptian magicians were performing illusions. Josephus claims that after Moses had performed the sign of the staff, becoming a serpent, Pharaoh was, quote, very angry with him and called him an ill man who had formerly run away from his Egyptian slavery and came now back with deceitful tricks and wonders and magical arts to astonish him. And when he had said this, he commanded his priests to let him see the same wonderful sights, as knowing that the Egyptians were skillful in this kind of learning, and that he was not the only person who knew them and present them to be divine. As also he told him that when he brought such wonderful sights before him, he would only be believed by the unlearned. Now when the priests threw down their rods, they became serpents. But Moses was not daunted at it and said, O king, I do not myself despise wisdom of the Egyptians, but I say that what I do is so much superior to what these do by magic arts and tricks, as divine power exceeds the power of man. But I will demonstrate that what I do is not done by craft or counterfeiting what is not really true, but that they appear by the power and providence of God. Very interesting report from Josephus and something to consider. Yeah, that is interesting. Very good. Janice? I'm going to use one of your favorite words. This portion of scripture I find fascinating. And here's the reason why I saw that <laughs> thumbs up. That's good. You know what? I, I titled this The Power of Prayer. My subtitle is, Who Should We Pray For? And my sub-subtitle is, Interceding on Behalf of Someone. You know, this is amazing, fascinating. The fourth plague flies. And you see here, and you're kind of hoping that Pharaoh is really starting to soften his heart if this is the first time that you're reading through this account. Because he says, so Pharaoh said, oh, you know, I will let I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. And here's what's fascinating. Then he says, intercede for me. Intercede for me. So Pharaoh wants Moses to intercede on his behalf to the living God, which 
Moses does. And it says here, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And guess what? Even the Lord God knows everything. He knows how we're going to respond. And he knew the end of this story. He answered him. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But here comes verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Moses interceded. He took he, he, he took, you know, it's like intervene, it's to meditate, it's to plead, it's to negotiate. That's what it means to intercede. Moses brought that to God, and God, knowing that Pharaoh would turn around and not do what he did, he did what Moses asked. It reminded me of Job. At the end of Job, after Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar said all the things that they did, God confronted them and said, I need you to take a sacrifice and Job's going to sacrifice for you. And then uh, verse 10 in Job 42, the Lord says, and the, um, God told Job to pray. He told God to intercede, to pray for Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. And then verse 10, I'm starting to get so excited. I'm moving forward in my notes. And verse 10 says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Isn't that amazing? Fascinating? Interesting? It's amazing how God uses our prayers, how he brings a response from us. Now, does that let us off the hook? Because you're, you're saying, well, you know, we're in the New Testament now. That was in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Jesus teaches the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, but then in verses 43 through 48, he commands us as his followers to love our enemies. And that's not all. He, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but... I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Sons means daughters and sons. It's just a word to include you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So we're not let off the hook. Can we do this on, on our own? No, we need the help of the Lord Jesus, but we must love and we must pray for the people around us. Thank you for joining us today as we study this passage of Scripture. Now, we're at 3.30 Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. We are on Facebook and YouTube at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. We're also on Bible Discovery TV. So go there and we'll pray for you. It's a live prayer meeting. We do it all week. So today we pray, Lord, I want to seek your ways and I want to follow your paths. Help me today in Jesus' name. 
and we said together,